Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Starling City Radio. I am one of your hosts, Alistair Kennedy, and as always with me tonight... Ross. Sure. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, last week, obviously, I could not be here in Starling City. I was away on a quest with the Justice League, we'll say. A bit like, uh, tonight's, uh, a bit like tonight's episode, you had uh, some uh, some dealings in mm, a, a foreign country. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I, I wasn't that far away. But <laughs> yeah, Were you in cultural Maltese? Are you part of Argus? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. No, 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 no. But I am back here tonight and we have your usual Starling City radio that you have all missed. We've got not only the episode, um, episode three of Arrow, we have also got um, Arrow... Volume 5 of New 52, and we also have a character discussion by Ross, and as always, we will start with Ross's DC News. Yes, um, I was sort of scouring around, and um, I'm kind of trying to be focusing more on Arrow News. Um, so, the most recent thing is that a description has come up for a couple of the most future episodes. Again, obviously, spoilers in mind. I won't go through and take it off, off but it seems to be that episode six, it's titled Guilty. It seems to be quite a, a Roy-centric episode, and um, we seem to be having quite a lot of focus as well on Ted Grant, which again coincides with the character description type, which is obviously um, uh, Ted Grant. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it kind of goes on, and it seems like Roy and Felicity seem to have a wee bit of a sort of bonding time on this episode too, according to the description. Again, I don't want really to read too much into it, just in case, you know, obviously massive spoilers um again it's been finally confirmed as well that next week's episode episode four will have razal go uh, as a cameo yes a demon he will be here and he's going to be played by matt nabel who is an australian guy and i watched a couple of films of his recently where he um uh, he worked his arse off to try and get a, a rugby film done uh, an australian rugby film done and it's actually quite I'm going to be quite interested to see how they portray uh, portray Razal Go with this one, and there's quite a lot of theories and speculation, as we always love speculation in the show, uh, about how Razal Go will be played into it. And um, uh, so, yes, we will definitely be seeing Razal Go or Rachel Go, depending how they decide to go. Raz, is it Raz, Raz in Arrow? Yeah. So we'll definitely <laughs> be seeing him next week. And uh, one of my friends, who who's an avid listener. Um, uh, turn around to me and goes, I really do hope that Raz Al Ghul turned around to Arrow and says, you're not a true detective. Because if anyone knows the comic books, that's how Raz Al Ghul refers to Batman as <laughs> detective. And uh, that would be a lovely nod to even mm. just confirming that Batman is exists in this Arrowverse. Like, we don't need to see him. We don't need to well, hear about him. But, well, you know, he has been confirmed via Flash. So yes, of course, yeah. In the future, with the Wayne, mm-hmm. uh, the yep. Wayne and uh, Queen merger, mm-hmm. yep. so of course, so, so technically, it does exist in this universe. But it'd be nice to have like a direct yeah. um, reference, even stuff, from, even like Raz could just mention that he, uh, he, you know, he could see how Ollie operates and goes, you know, you're just not as good as somebody else I know who operates that way type thing. That'd be quite an interesting way. But yes, episode four is definitely Matt Nabel will be guest starring as Raz Al Ghul, which obviously, if anyone saw uh, the episode, which we'll be discussing even more, we saw Nissa as well. So she'll be in The Magician, which is the title of episode four. Um, and then, as I said, episode six, the Roy Harper-centric episode has a bit more Yay. about Ted Grant. So yes, Roy <laughs> Harper will be in it. It'll be interesting to see 
where Ollie is in this episode and whether or not Roy decides to, you know, we, we've not really seen a lot of sort of Arsenal action so far. So no. it'd be nice to see episode six as a kind of maybe Arsenal takes it upon himself to hunt down um, uh, Ted Grant, who has been accused of murder, according to the description. And then Nightwing comes in from Roy's time. <laughs> uh, you really want to shoehorn this in, don't you? Do we want to go down this road again? We do, because how many times can you say Bloodhaven without Sean me goddamn Nightwing? You know? Of course, yes. You never know. One of these days, it will happen. You know, it'll definitely. I'm pretty sure it's going to be an episode that nobody ever thinks you of, know, and all of I a would, sudden he just goes, "Oh yeah, my mate Dick Grayson's coming into town," you know, and you'd be like, I, "What?" I, I know there's a Teen Titans rumored pilot, Ross, but do you know what I'd even be happy with if someday it showed you them in Bloodhaven. I mean, we've had it mentioned by several characters, and even Roy, Roy is walking down the street or Ollie, and somebody bumps into him and he turns around and goes, "Dick," and the guy turns around and it's. Dick Grayson. <laughs> you know, and he doesn't say anything, they just keep walking, that's it. <laughs> we can only dream. And they just yeah, they just give the sly nods to each yeah. other. You know? like yeah. Sort of like, yep. I Dick. know who you are. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Be quite but yes, um, wrapping so, up, I, I mean, it's, it's quite light in terms of like the Arrow news uh, tonight. I think because hmm. we're all just sort of getting back into the, uh, into the groove of watching Arrow, getting settled down, I mean, there's not too, too many crazy rumours to be to be going about. I mean, you know, we could speculate a bit more about what could happen in the Flash Arrow crossovers, but again, you know, it's not really... I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody knows exactly how these things are going to play out. So, in terms of just Arrow only, yes, the Guilty has a bit more of a description with Ted Grant seems to play a major part, which again is quite interesting considering how the episode we're going to discuss um, played out, and obviously... Being a Roy Harper-centric episode, could we see Roy Harper hunting Ted Grant with maybe um, Laurel getting in the way or Laurel trying to get between the two? So uh, oh, I think episode six will be she'll quite an intriguing episode, you know. It could, it may fall into the Birds of Prey territory, let's hope no. it doesn't, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether or not this is going to be an arrowless episode. So there was see. one more uh, piece of Arrow news, Ross, I don't know if Ooh. you covered it last week, um, with the casting of Brick. Yeah, oh, no, we haven't. No, actually, um, because it happened uh, a couple of days after our recording, uh, it's something that's just fallen off the radar. But yes, uh, would you like to announce who is playing Brick, Ali? <laughs> and possibly one of CW's biggest mistakes. They haven't made many so far. The one, the only Mr. Vincent Jones, otherwise known as Vinnie Jones from... Um, Snatched, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels has been cast as Brick. And it might sound not a big deal to some of you listeners that's like us. Um, however, if you know more of your comics, a bit like Ross, um, Brick is one of a recurring villain for the Green Arrow. So, Ross, what's your take on this? Um, <laughs> well, um, um, it's it's difficult <laughs> to tell because I have some sort of like I'm just laughing at it. Um, I'll explain why I'm laughing at it in a bit. But uh, for for viewers who may or may not have um, caught up with the comic books that we covered in our last sort of series of episodes, we did cover quite a lot of brick um, that was created in the Judge Winnick run um, after the Kevin Smith sort of reincarnation of Arrow. And uh, basically, brick is like so in the comic books, he's a super strength, superhuman guy who's a a crime boss um, that that takes over the glades, one of the sort of the poor areas of uh, Star City. Um, in the Arrow TV show, 
rumours are going around that Vinnie Jones will play Brick, and the reason he's called Brick is because he's taken so many bullet hits and he still stands, <laughs> is supposedly yeah. the reason why he's called Brick. Now, the reason I think it's hilarious, and uh, I actually kind of, I really want to hear our listeners' um uh, our listeners' sort of uh, opinions in this one because I don't know if you ever watched this, Ali, but there was a superhero uh-huh. show a couple of years ago, uh, maybe back in 2011, called The uh-huh. Cape, right? And The Cape <laughs> was the greatest, worst superhero was show that ever existed. Was this the guy that was the dad that gets superpowers? It was the dad that, uh, yes, it was the dad that, yeah. it, well, it was the dad that was, um, if I, my memory serves me correctly, he was uh, presumed dead by, uh, he was killed off, but he came back to uh, sort of uh, rid the city of crime, and he took on the sort of the mantle of the comic book character that his son would read in the comic book. So it's almost as if, like, uh, I had a son who read Batman, and I decided, and I was killed off and decided to come back as Batman. That's basically <laughs> kind of the idea of the cape. Now, Vinnie Jones is in the cape and he plays this guy called Scales and Vinnie Jones has like scales <laughs> up his neck and all that stuff. So <laughs> I would love it to see if there's like a, I would love it if there's a sly reference to the cape. Is it a tattoo of a brick or something? That'd be hilarious. It'd be more, I was kind of thinking it'd be hilarious if this now <laughs> ties in the cape to the Arrowverse, but oh, of course no. that would never happen, but it'd be hilarious. It's not Gotham. It's um, not but Gotham. I'll play, um, Listeners, if you have ever heard of the Cape, please give us a wee mention on Facebook because I would love to just chat about it. Because if you <laughs> haven't seen it, just watch it. It's just so ridiculous. There's a guy called Chess in it, and like he, his eye pupils are pictures of chess pieces. It's just like completely and utterly crazy. And the main character learns his skills by getting uh, involved in a, a circus troupe of like midgets and freaks who teach him how to use this magical cape that basically get lets him grab stuff with like the cape edges and stuff like that. Oh, it's so bad. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, I really need to watch it again because it's just that bad. <laughs> but yes, uh, so Vinny Jones was, has already had a superhero sort of debut in that um, but purely... Well, Juggernaut from X-Men. Oh, of, of course, Juggernaut. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, what X-Men films that? Because I tend oh, it's to... It's cancelled. <laughs> well, actually, Days of Future Past helped that is that. Yeah, so it never existed. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, uh, to bring it back in, Vinnie Jones has been cast as Brick, which is quite <laughs> an, uh, an interesting casting choice considering how um, important that villain is in terms of the Arrow comics. You know, it's kind of like the, the Batman's version of Falcone or Penguin type thing. Brick well, is, you it know? could always go the same way that the original Vertigo in the Arrow series went if he doesn't do well. Yeah, it could do. Yeah, they could definitely sort of like bring him back on but it'll be interesting maybe to see if uh, if any jones does become a recurring cast member if he does gain the, like, the super strength that is um that the scene maybe merikuru comes back at some point oh. in the future as a sort of drug you never know but um I, i've got theories and not but anyway <laughs> we'll need to wrap up the news round for now and with the news segment over we will just continue on with the episode discussion and tonight was episode three well not tonight but it was episode three which was was it monte carlo ross what was nope. the name it was corto nope. maltese um it's, it's about the same thing corto maltese, corto maltese um, of course it was it should resonate with a lot of dc comic fans considering corto maltese uh, was referenced in frank miller's the dark knight returns it was the island that superman uh, gets sent to to try and sort of stop the nuclear or the war that happens um, on Corto Maltese, and also it's mentioned in Tim Burton's Batman, 
Hearts. So mm. it's a very sort of it's again a bit like uh, Mar- uh, Markovia, which was another mm-hmm. location we visited last season. It's kind of one of those background referenced um, locations, a bit like Blue Haven, I suppose you can think of it that way. But yes, Cortal Maltese episode three of Arrow. So that was uh, that was one that was here today. It was it was good. It was not bad. What did you think of it then? I I enjoyed it. I will say at the start, Ollie went extremely Christian Bale. Blonde hair, black tights. Did you see her? You know. What I'm <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like you were the one with the glass. You were the one. Did you see her? And he's like, dude, no. Why are you speaking like that? You know. <laughs> it brings back that episode from season two where he was like, "Where is he?" Yeah. <laughs> it's like he has to go down the Christian. Then bill again, route. It, it's probably difficult to not go down the Christian Bale route because mm. it's such a defining thing, and he. Christian Bale's pretty much stolen that sort of gruff, like yes. angry voice. So you know, <laughs> he, he overacted that as much as William yeah. Shatner overacts, basically. <laughs> um, over, overall, like uh, compared to episode two, which sadly I was not here to put on, I didn't think it stood up next to it. Episode two, I loved Roy and uh, Ollie. I'll, I'll just do a wee quick commentary. Roy and Ollie fighting together when they were um, in the office building at the party. You know the charity raising the fundraising thing that was amazing to see and then like ollie flying out the window and roy stopping it was like i, I just imagined roy turning around going nothing to see here folks nothing to see just a guy <laughs> in a red hoodie let me out you know it's how did he get out of that but um in this episode uh, overall it wasn't as strong but it was stronger than episode one I, this season's kind of it's going differently and it's going to take me a while to adjust but mm-hmm. I mean, the overall story was okay. I mean, I didn't feel that Where's Thea needed a whole episode. Um, however, that's what we got. Um, I love seeing Brandon Ruth on screen. Every time I see him, he lights up the screen. He's so good. He's so, so good. I want to see much more of him. I want to see him come off the guest star role. Um, uh, Felicity juggling things. It's nothing we haven't seen before. Um, I, I did. I, I'm getting sick of Daddy Diggle. I'm going to admit it now. I've seen too much of it. Even though this one was kind of short, and over the past three episodes, we get it. You only needed to show us it once, and a couple of references. <laughs> Every time we go back to the Mister and Missus Diggle household, or as I like to call it, the Stuart household. Wink, wink. Um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I just, I get that Diggle's a dad. I get, the, but they seem to be throwing this in our faces too much, Ross, for something not to come up down the line involving Diggle's child. You know what I mean? It's not even that. It's, I, I, I know. I kind of see where you're coming from, but I did like the sort of the wee thing where I think um, Diggle's sort of wife, lover, girlfriend—I can't remember what she's called—and the the um, uh, Lila uh, turned around and goes, "Oh." Uh, what happens if you know, like you know, uh, if somebody tries to attack us? And then I'm pretty sure Diggle turns around to his wee daughter and going, "That's what my little Glock is for." <laughs> it's like, oh my god, what an awesome kid to like grow up with Diggle, like <laughs> basically turning kind of going, "Yeah, I've got guns and shit." <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> Although I will say one thing about Diggle's wife, right? And this is a warning to any of our listeners out here with a a wife, girlfriend, possible partner, lover, you know, <laughs> whatever you want to call them. If your missus asks you to do something for a guy that she refers to as an old friend, she's she she's been there. She's been there. That's all I'm gonna she say. Sniffed that. Yeah, she she's been around that area of that person, and I just seen that, and I'm like, they go, come on, man. Like she just said, he, he's a old friend. I'd be like, 
please, man, you've been <laughs> you've been humping this dude, you know. <laughs> but uh, that's what I got from it. And he's like, okay, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, I, fair enough. It's that part I don't buy. I either want Diggle to take on the whole father life, but I feel the way that it's been getting thrown in our faces, it's going to be. Diggo's baby's going to get kidnapped by Vertigo or possibly um, Malcolm Merlin himself by the end of the season. Something has to. It's been shown too much, Ross, like, you yeah. know, just to be juxt- juxtaposition. Um, I think it, I think it'll be Argus that'll steal her. Yeah, steal the baby to make... He'll yeah. need to get the Suicide Squad in to help yep. him out. That'll be yeah. what will And it'll be Deadshot that saves the baby in the end. <sighs> or Deadshot but... will have a, a predetermined mission by Argus to assassinate the baby. So he's like infiltrated it, but then he decides to ignore his orders and uh, not Dude, shoot. You can't the baby. say in a show he's infiltrated the baby. <laughs> <laughs> infiltrated the team. Apologies, <laughs> listeners. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, um, so I, I, you know, it's just it's been thrown up too much. Um, anyway, moving on from Dagoni's infiltrated baby. Um, <laughs> <That's bad. laughs> uh, we we had obviously the repercussions of Sarah's death in episode two. So I'm moving on from that. We had um, was this when Laurel Lance was she going to tell um the worst detective in the world at the end? And she ended up saying sorry for lying. That was in episode two. That was in episode... Sorry, I watched both tonight. This is the one where uh, Laurel's dealing with her anger issues without... Oh, yeah, and she tries to hit a guy with a baseball bat. Yeah, badly. Wrong! (laughs) He's like, yeah, I like when they hit back. It's like... (laughs) kind of asked for it, and I don't, like, condone violence against women or infiltrated babies, but... Laurel did deserve to be hit with that baseball and bat. It kind of needed to happen if you think about her overall. Like, I'm not talking about like seasons character arc, but like like multiple seasons character arc. It kind of needed. She needed to get her arse kicked at some point, mm. you know, to sort of like be down at the bottom and realize that she isn't um, as well skilled as she thought she was. She's going from Poddington P to Bill and Ben. <laughs> which uh, obviously opens <laughs> up with the fact that you know she'll need to seek training, which I'm sure we'll we'll all get into uh, later on. You know about like the um, the sort of repercussions of of her uh, choosing Ted Grant over Ollie. Well, not even choosing the fact that Ollie did turn around and told her to fuck off. But <laughs> I, <think so. laughs> I mean, we, we obviously had the whole Thea quest and mm, the King of Botox and haircuts. Now apparently. <laughs> Barman's opened up a hair salon over over there, and the one thing that I want to point out, and I I, I want to say I'm not nitpicky, but Thea is a bartender, spoiled rich girl, right? And one day of or say a month, two months, three months, right, knocking about some guys. The first time that she's sitting down with Barman after all the fight training, he pours boiling hot water in his hand or some sort of liquid, and he does it to her. Right, now, I don't care what sort of lineage you have. If you have not been subject to this, you're going to show some sort of buns. Yeah. yeah? <laughs> I mean, I've been a chef. I've used, like, the yeah. the, the water coming out, the hot, boiling hot water out where they fill the kettles to fill up a, a pan because I've been late for putting veg in the pot. I've burnt the hell out of my hand and I've had red burnt spots. When she was talking to Ollie at that table, Ross, in the, the random restaurant that she's suddenly working at, taking out rubbish... <laughs> 
No burns on the hand. I'm assuming that I'm assuming that that was like five months ago type thing. I think that's. I'm pretty sure like it's closer to like the end of season two when that happened than the beginning of season three. So she could have had five months to. Uh, but then again, thing is though, right? Is that again working in a kitchen like you have yourself, yeah. right? You you still have marks after like like do? crazy boiling buns. So like I'm surprised that like and in all honesty, I was genuinely like when the hot coffee poured over her hand, fair do she didn't flinch. Understandable, but I, I was genuinely surprised that they didn't show like like burns across her hands yeah. that Ollie would be like, why the hell have you got all these like crazy ass burns in the hand? But um Yeah. So yeah, any kids listening to this show, first of all ask your mum and dad why they've allowed parent controls to be locked off of the iTunes. But also never pour that hot liquid on your hand. It it yes. doesn't happen like that. Never. <laughs> yes. Listen listen to Alia Ross. Do not pour <laughs> boiling water over your hand. It, it it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. And especially if you're working in a kitchen, yeah. you have to move and get on with it. But if you're a kid and you're out playing Pokemons or whatever you do these days, don't come back in and go, I'm going to pour my mum's coffee in my hand because you, you'll burn the hell out of yeah. your hand, kid. And, and no offence, <laughs> right, but no matter how many times you do it, it still hurts like a bitch, right? Mm-hmm. Do not do not, do not, not think that just because they've done it a couple of times, oh, I'm immune to pain. That's not yeah. how it works. It still no. hurts like a don't motherfucker. Listen, <laughs> don't listen to Batman. Yeah, Never listen don't, to Yeah, don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, apart from Tia's training... We didn't have too much going on in Starland City, being honest, apart from pff, nothing. I can't think of anything really in Starland City that happened. I think the episode ended, actually, in um, Carte Blanche or whatever it was. Well, uh, well, Coral Maltese. No, no, they <laughs> yeah. came back. Uh, no, no, they came back. Um, uh, and then that's when... Well, the big thing that happened in Starland City was, obviously, Laurel um, going from sort of her anger... Uh, and then again, I, I'm I'm really am. Uh, uh, I'm now. Don't take, everyone knows my feelings on Laurel Lance, right? So we won't get into that discussion again. But I am quite. Um, I'm quite impressed as to how the writers are handling her transition from being the drug addict. I get kidnapped and broken into every single episode, Laurel Lance, mm-hmm. to the Black Canary that we're going to see and we all love from the comics, in the sense that in the comics. Black Canary's main agenda is to basically kick the fuck out of um, uh, women beaters and pimps and, you know, sex uh, sex trade ringleaders and stuff like that, right? Which is totally, like, fair news. And it's it's good to see that slowly, that slowly sort of, like, um, bleed into the show with her being at the AA, seeing the women being subjected to domestic violence and then going out and trying to tackle that so all of a sudden we're starting to see like a motive as to where she's channeling her anger uh, obviously it doesn't go that, down that well however the fact that she now thinks that she needs to she she feels she owes it to her sister to continue on the legacy that is black canary which i totally get but then what's quite cool what's quite interesting is that ollie thinks he owes it to her sister to uh, to not train her in order not to continue the legacy of Black Canary, uh, which obviously then uh, leads her to Ted Grant, which we saw a wee bit of, uh, and, and and I'll I'll go into a wee bit more detail about why mm. Ted Grant is going to be very significant. Like I think he's going to be a huge player, um, especially in the Laurel Land storyline. Maybe not for Oliver Queen and the and the Arrow. Maybe not until later on in the series, and possibly maybe in, into season four. But definitely for Laurel Lance, 
Ted Grant. I, I reckon Ted Grant's going to be Laurel's next love interest, and um, mm. I reckon it'll be like sort of. I don't think Olicity will ever start again. Thank. Mm. I hope to God it doesn't. Hopefully. But um, but it, I definitely think that maybe. Oliver tries to get something going with Felicity. She turns him down, so he then goes to Laurel, but then Laurel turns him down because she just started a relationship with Ted Grant. I reckon that's what's going to happen. And uh, that kind of fits in quite, slides in quite well with how the, the comics panned out. And I know Arrow should be trying to take its own um, its own sort of um, journey through the comic book characters, but it's nice to see it sort of like siding up against the comic books once in a while, especially for major characters. If you think about it, this would be see if they didn't go through this uh, storyline of Laurel Lance becoming Black Canadian by meeting Ted Grant, it would be like Gwen Stacy not being, um, you Peter know, not being, sort of like, yeah, not being Peter Parker's first girlfriend, or or not having Peter Parker Parker being somewhat responsible for her death. You know, like you know, it's it's hello Spider Man one with uh, <laughs> Tobey Maguire. <laughs> it's it's taking like a, a a massive chunk of like the the Black Canary mythos, Methos, not Green Arrow, yeah. but the Black Canary mythos away. And but they're dealing with it quite well, and I'm very intrigued. And in all honesty, you know, usually I'm quite. I, I was originally expecting to think that the whole Arrow and Arsenal partnership would be the most intriguing thing about uh, season three. Um, and Razal Ghul, obviously, but now I'm starting to think that I might. This could be the season I might turn around at the end of it and be like, I fucking love Laurel Lance. I think she's a badass character, and let's hope that Kate Cassidy can sort of continue on her strong performances that she's shown in the last three episodes. Because to become Black Canary, you need to be strong, and you need to sort of prove that you can you can win over the fans. Because we loved Sarah that much as Black Canary that it's going to be interesting to see how she. Like, it's almost like this is her last chance to prove to the audience and she has the storyline to do it by proving to everybody that she isn't this pussy ass DA. She's a crime fighter. So uh, I think it's quite a lot good parallels in real life and um the arrow verse about how um she's going on. Um and talking about Gwen Stacy, Ali, did you not see the the Marvel slash DC reference um mm-hmm. uh, in this episode? Uh, I don't know if you know, but um, the assistant that Felicity, um, the Felicity gets, is called Jerry Conway, and Jerry Conway, of course, was the um, was the writer or artist that uh, um, that was involved with Gwen Stacy's death, like the first incarnation of her ah. death. Back in there, and he also created a load of DC characters as well. So it's like a huge, not even just DC comic reference, but comic reference to the whole Jerry Conway. So um, there you go. That's something I didn't even know. And I was really, I was looking forward to tonight <laughs> to sort of throw that in. <laughs> um, I didn't even pick up on that, to be honest. But, uh, in all honesty, I didn't immediately. It was um, like when I was scribbling down my notes when I was watching the episode, you know, as I was like sort of Googling through everything that I realized that Jerry Conway matched up with them. Um, with one of the comic book artists or writers that was um, that was definitely involved with Gwen Stacy's death. Um, if you give us two seconds, I'll actually tell you exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if, um, Conway wrote the famous death of Gwen Stacy story in Amazing Spider-Man, and he created a number of DC characters, including Firestorm, Count Vertigo, and Power Girl. So there we go. That's how Jerry. That's Jerry Conway's sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I mean. I'm assuming this is me now over to my opinions of the episode. And yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it was good. It was all right. I like the different location. You know, I like being out into Calder Maltese. I like seeing sort of Team Arrow, like a fish out of water, you know. 
uh, in the sense that they couldn't take their usual gear around and I like the idea that they had to sort of improvise and it kind of <coughs> it um almost uh sort of showed the um the initiative that Ollie gained on the island by being able to fashion a bow and arrow out of, you know, hotel stuff, you know, which is quite interesting. Uh, now, like, interesting just to see sort of, like, you know, wee nods. Um, it's, I'm going to totally disagree with you about Fia. I think I think we needed more of Fia and Malcolm in this episode. I was actually quite... Oh. quite. Un- I was expecting a wee bit more about her training, about why she's become the way she is, you know, like, why is she doing that? I was expecting maybe a wee bit more of a a subtle hint, maybe she was, um, maybe it's been a plan all along for her to go back to Starland City, you know, like, is there, is this part of um, Merlin's overall plan um, to have Thea almost do his dirty work for him in Starland City uh, before he shows his face, because obviously I'm assuming he will show his face at some point, but right now he knows for a fact that he's a wanted man, so maybe getting Thea in there as a spy almost into Starland City would be quite an interesting angle if that turned out to be true. Um, uh, there was a couple other things as well. Um, I love Ray Palmer, as you said. I liked how I liked how he went from his sort of bubbly, comedic self to like super serious when he saw all the applied science designs of all the military grade weapons. Um, another thing I noticed as well was uh, one of the uh, military grade uh, weapons was for OMAC. Uh, which is an OMAC blueprint, and OMAC is uh, another DC character. Um, OMAC is controlled by Brother Eye, and but OMAC is like a super soldier, if I remember rightly. Please correct me if I'm wrong at um, on Twitter and Facebook, listeners. But I'm pretty sure OMAC was um, OMAC and Brother Eye are like a sort of thing, and Brother Eye was basically trying to recruit more people into the OMAC program, which basically created super soldiers type idea. Um, another more Green Arrow thing that I noticed was uh, Thea's alias in Corto Maltese was Mia. So you had Mia Dearden, almost, considering that's her middle name. So could this be a slow way of her becoming, maybe she takes on the name Mia in Stalin City to hide the fact that Thea's back and she becomes Mia Dearden, aka Speedy. So that'd be quite interesting if that happened. Um, one final sort of point that I noticed, or Easter egg that I noticed, was uh, a lot more mentions of uh, Coast City, which um, uh, uh, the one and only Hal Jordan resides in Coast City, so that was mentioned quite a lot. The um, the woman beater that uh, that Laurel goes out for was wanted from was wanted in Coast City, among other places as well. So uh, it's it's nice to see the universe opening up and including other. Um, uh, other city names and an interview with Jeff Johns a few days ago said that every single Easter egg you see, it, there's a reason for it being there. They're not just putting it in just for fan service. There's a reason why Coast City was mentioned, or there's a reason why Blue Haven was mentioned. So Ali, you never know. Or Blue Haven, <laughs> uh, there's you know you, you never know, Ali. It could happen still. Um, but yeah, I mean it's quite good. I, I liked how they tied in Flash as well. I don't know if you noticed this, but. Um, you notice Felicity was reading um, Iris West's blue st- uh, red streak page, uh, or uh, the streak is alive page uh, on the internet, just as she asked, um, just as she asked Ray Palmer for a few days off to go to Central City. So uh, that's quite a nice wee sort of nod or to uh, of like a sort of subtle connection between the two universes and a reason why she's heading off as well. Um, I mean, overall, yeah, it was an alright episode. It's picking up again. Just to sort of reiterate what Ali said uh, earlier on in the episode, 
it's just taking a lot to get used to. Like it's getting really. It's just we had such a sort of balls to the wall action series uh, season yeah. beforehand, and now this this and they did warn us. They did say in the summer this is going to be very personal and very relationship character orientated, not action orientated, and it's just been a bit of a struggle for myself personally to get involved in that you know but i'm still geeking out and still loving the show you know completely there's definitely not like crazy faults possibly vinnie jones's casting could be the biggest fault so far but so far um so far it's good but yeah overall cortal maltese was actually quite a decent strong episode it had everything you could possibly think of they really are racking up the easter eggs as well and um it was nice to see team arrow out of their usual um uh, the usual place of sort of you know place of action uh, out in a completely different place so yeah it was quite good yeah it was not bad yeah so uh overall it was a strongish episode compared to the first one still not what we're used to and i still prefer the second episode compared to this one but any finishing comments before we move on to our comic book of the week? Um, just the fact that because Nessa showed up right at the end has just mm. left me on edge for the rest of the week. And I really like now that I know that Raz Al Ghul is making an official guest appearance, as in we're going to see his face and see his costume and hear him speak. I'm just like, I really don't want <laughs> I really don't want to go, go 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 on my holiday tomorrow and like miss out until next Thursday. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> And so it's going to be very interesting to see how um, how he's played out. So it's definitely left on. There's, they're opening up a lot of storylines, and I like it. So, good. Cool. So um, let's move on to our comic book this week, Ross, which I will allow you to introduce. Yes. Um, obviously, continuing on with our new 52, seeing as it's the most recent incarnation of Green Arrow out with the TV show, uh, we've continued on with Green Arrow Volume 5, uh, The Outsider's War, which, uh, Outsider's War, which um, has just been released in its full trade paperback uh, glory. It collects issues 25 to 31. Now, this continues on, and I'm assuming that people have caught up with uh, the new 52 uh, arrow by following our podcast if not then there's going to be obviously multiple spoilers ahead about how things pan out for oliver queen and um, if you have then let's hear your comments and you know let us know what you think about it all but yes volume five pretty much picks up immediately after vol after the the brilliant volume four uh, you know, we had Oliver Queen who pretty much thought everything was pretty much figured out and he thought he, he knew exactly what was going on. You know, he was now a heroic archer. You know, he seemed to find... <laughs> he found a sense of purpose as a character and the comic book itself had finally found a sense of purpose, if that makes sense. It's quite interesting to see how the character and the comic book sort of aligned together in the sense that both of them found a purpose. You know, they finally found a fan base to aid the comics and... Oliver Queen had friends to aid him in the in like Naomi and oh I can't remember the guy's name the fat guy that helps him out uh, and obviously at this point as well Green Arrow is now on the Justice League of America which is obviously the uh, the government's version of the Justice League to take them down so it kind of it opens up a wee bit more about his past and brings in more about Oliver Queen's identity and Green Arrow's identity and about like who he is and why he's here. And um, it was a very interesting sort of six issues that uh, that covered quite a lot of ground and opened up a lot of mythology that was very interesting, very new as well. Um, 
And obviously, like, it turns out that his stranding on the desert wasn't more than an accident. Uh, it looked like he was intentionally stranded there and he was aided by people. He was um, sort of put up against people that he didn't realise he was getting put up against. And, yeah, it, it, it opened up a, a unique take on the island story. And I can see why it was opened up that way, but I can see the sort of the downfalls to it as well. Um, so yeah, basically, I just I don't know. I mean, like, I was so excited by the end of Volume Four that was finally getting to see like a decent Green Arrow, you know. But I don't know, like Volume Five, it's not as exciting and as heart pumping and as heart racing as Volume Four, but it no. still does the job. Maybe just barely, but it still does it, you know. Um, I mean, it's quite good when you sort of, like, see how Oliver Queen or Slash Green Arrow is helping out the city. You kind of see the ideas to, like, you know, how he's taking this idea and, like, what his purpose is. You can get an idea as to who he is and why he's doing this idea, you know. And then you sort of see Oliver bringing in Diggle as well to help him. So he kind of realizes that, you know, he needs a team behind him. He's not, he, you know, he's not Batman. You know, he's, he needs to have this team behind him and stuff like that, which is an interesting because Batman does make a cameo appearance in this book when it's a, a flashback. Um, the flashback coincided with the year zero, um, uh, the year zero sort of publications that DC had. And basically, Green Arrow finds himself uh, trying to save his mum before he'd announced that he'd returned. And uh, he sees himself getting caught up with Batman, who'd also already just started crime fighting. So it was quite cool to see Green Arrow, Batman in the same room at the same time when I think it was Mothman uh, who was the one that was causing the destruction in Gotham. Uh, and then obviously Oliver manages to rescue his mum without the aid of... And I think he fights Batman for a bit as well. Um so yeah, it was quite interesting. We, you know, we got an idea as to like who Green Arrow is and what he's doing in, in the city and like why he's doing it. And then it kind of takes a very interesting sort of turn where we return to the island and we open up to this mythology. And if people know, you know, like I, I love mythology and I love this like this whole sort of expanded universe type idea. And I think this is where it's this is where Green Arrow Volume Five succeeds. It succeeds in opening up a unique take and an expanded universe on Green Arrow with, you know, uh, covering these five sort of clans or tribes. And um, so, yeah, basically, the, the, he, he, um, you know, there's like five clans, five tribes. I think it's like the shield, uh, the sword, uh, the arrow, um, the spear, and the fist, I think it is. So you kind of find out that these five clans have been vying to become like the ultimate sort of, you know, um, uh, you know, the ultimate sort of clan. And I think the Arrow clan had always been the ultimate clan, but because nobody could find the totem, which is like the, the which surprisingly is a green arrow, um, all the other clans decided to form these uh, to form together to become the outsiders. And uh, through that, the outsiders were all were helping and trying to figure out uh, where the totem Green Arrow is. Now, obviously, when you find out that Oliver Queen is the Green Arrow in Starling City, or Star City, I believe it is in the comics. Star, Star City. Yeah, Star City in the comics. Um, he immediately pretty much, uh, you know, he pretty much attracts the attentions of the outsiders, uh, especially through Simon Lacroix, uh, Lacroix who um, plays Komodo, who we did briefly see in episode two of Arrow. And um, through him, they sort of try to hunt Green Arrow down. And it turns out that 
that the the title Green Arrow isn't just a superhero title, it's the title given to the head of the Arrow clan. So it now opens up this idea that, you know, there's more than there's more that meets the eye to Oliver Queen than um uh, than what more than to. meets the eye i was waiting for it <laughs> <laughs> uh, which which again is a very unique and intriguing um path to take you know with green arrow it kind of you know rather than just being oh uh, he's a crime fighter that has a bow and arrow we've now opened up this huge mythological background and this mm. ancient sort of you know like a uh, tribe slash clan you know and it's it's an interesting way to do it I think the the negative sides to that though is the fact that it kind of takes away the fact that the reason Oliver Queen was supposed to be on that island was the fact that he was to learn on his own how to be a man and how to sort of like survive on his own and he learnt the skills that he's learnt pretty much on his own by surviving for the five years on the island. That's like, you know, he spent five years training to survive and that's how he became Green Arrow. With this added mythology of the fact that there were other people on the island at the same time, that his father was still alive, it kind of, it kind of, it, 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 it detracts from that whole sort of survival situation, you know. Has all you know? Has all of Oliver Queen sort of been falsely led to believe that he's matured in such a way? You know, sort of idea. You know, is he still just the normal spoiled brat that we've seen? You know, has he actually learned anything? Type thing. You know, and it kind of it just it just takes away that whole survival aspect of you know living on the island for five years now, knowing that people were actually there all the time, you know, and people were following him and tracking him and stuff like, you know, and it kind of, it just, just takes away that isolation idea and that isolation moment. Um, and, you know, there, there were certain bits where I felt that Jeff Lemire did sort of wander off a wee bit too much and it kind of read like a movie rather than reading like a comic book. You know, there was a lot of flashbacks, there were a lot of different cutting to points of views and it kind of did feel like every issue or every sort of part of an issue you were pretty much cut into like the next scene of a film which is fine you know I, I don't mind that but I think it's a wee bit jarring sometimes in comic books especially having to sort of because you're you're reading it panel by panel you're having to flick back and forth and you're kind of like immediately you're like one bit the next thing you're on the other bit and you're like wait what whereas obviously in the tv screen it's so seamless that you know you don't you know you don't realize it's almost as if like somebody decided to watch Arrow um, frame by frame, you know. Uh, obviously, people would be a bit confused if it jumped from Court Maltese to Starling City, and I think that's some of the confusion that I felt when I read Volume Five was the fact that it was jumping too much around. That yeah, fair dues. If it was played like a film or like a TV show, then yeah, it would be brilliant. It'd be an action-packed, you know, exciting drama. But because I'm reading it panel by panel and I'm trying to digest each panel by checking all the visuals and making sure I've read and understand it. When I'm like on the island and switch back to Star City, I'm gonna go wait. Hang on a minute. Why have I done that for a minute? You know, and I'm not. You know, there's too much time that you get spent on trying to work out why you switch back and forth. But um, I mean, I still Andrea Sorrentino's artwork. I mean, that that noirish appropriate feel to Green Arrow still excelled. Absolutely loved the artwork through the entire thing. Uh, I mean, it's opened up a, again. Bring about open up a lot of mythology, a lot of you know like story routes that could go down. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, it was good. I mean, it's pretty much, it's pretty much, it's like, it shows Oliver Queen as a work in progress as a character, but it also highlights that the story itself is still a work in progress 
And, you know, it's just, it's very interesting to sort of bring up parallels between how the Green Arrow, um, to how, how, the, how the Green Arrow comic book has, has gone along so far and how the character's gone along. They're almost like living the same life, almost, you know. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's not maybe not as strong, as efficient as Volume 4, but it, it's certainly got potential. Um, it's pretty much overall. Uh, I, I feel like I've rambled on quite a wee bit, Ali. Have you got any thoughts on Volume 5? <laughs> uh, apart from the fact that I finished a beer in your conversation, and <laughs> I do, I do actually. I disagree in a few things, and you forgot to mention a couple of things. Um, obviously, this is uh, the first... Uh, sort of comic appearance as far as I know of uh, Daddy Daddy Cool Daddy Daddy Cool Do you dig the dig? Do you dig the I dig the dig do you dig the dig? Diggle's obviously introduced in this issue like Ross kindly graced me with them earlier today I've had a bit of a hectic night I had a driving lesson Arrow catch up a refresh and uh, Flash Star Wars Rebels and Arrow reading um, so that's why it was all a bit of a blur earlier with the Arrow episode. But this was the the recent one I, I read, and obviously Shadow is in this, and I I love Shadow. I still cannot believe they wrote her off in the show. Um, or have they? <laughs> um, or have perhaps? But um, the whole totem thing and the almost voodoo style thing they had going on, I I I don't like that. I personally don't like it. I prefer. I know this is a comic book, but I prefer the grittiness of... Well, year one. There you go. This comic book done its best to imitate it. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, I felt... It it tried to sort of imitate maybe a bit more of the Longbow Hunter style, like... Well, maybe what, yeah. Yeah. uh, Side of ideal, like the grittiness. But I think, as you said, the totem mythological (laughs) ideas seem to sort of, you know... doesn't... It doesn't it. agree. It yeah. doesn't agree with my Green Arrow, you know, like the Green Arrow that well, not grew up with. You guys know that the first episode of this show, I was new to Green Arrow, but from I've read a lot of Green Arrow since then, and it's not the Green Arrow that I know. Like even the TV show is not quite the Green Arrow I like to know. You know, it's more the was it Longbow Hunters when he was retired and he came out of retirement? He was staying in Seattle, I think, with um yes. With uh, Black Canary, yeah. That that's my Green Arrow, you know. And um, this one had uh, what was the guy called Dragon? Um, red um, Red Dragon. Uh, no, it's um, Richard Dragon. Oh, God, yes, Richard, that's Richard Dragon, and he was kind of like a crime boss sort of thing, and it had that fight now. But the flashbacks kind of seemed like it was trying too hard. Not the flashbacks, but the sort of well, yeah, the flashback. It's kind of tried to be too hard to be in line with the show at some points. Um, I don't. I did. I just didn't like the different weapon tribe. You know how they the different skills, the tribes. I didn't appreciate that. I I don't like the fact that that happened, and they've basically overwrote the year one sort of. Yes, yeah. even and I, I feel like it, it kind of like um took away the uniqueness of yes. of Green Arrow's sort of like skill set. You know, now you know that Ed, like basically because of the Arrow Clan. Anyone could be Green Arrow, you know, and it kind of like, like, fair dues. It, it, it adds that dramatic tension that anyone could, like, you know. You but then know, again, anyone over. could be Batman. Yeah, that, exactly. But then nobody can be Batman. But that, that's basically what, 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 what they've done. Is Grayson can be. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, I see where you I totally under. I totally agree with you. You know, I just yeah. I felt that it wasn't needed, but it wasn't needed, but it was needed because they needed to sort of open up the story a little bit. But I think maybe going down this sort of mythological path wasn't the right path to go down. No, I, I I agree. Yeah, that it wasn't the right path. I prefer the urban Green Arrow. He should be like. Whereas Batman started out with his small crimes and the small-time crooks, Batman in recent days has become more involved in the superhero-style side of things, unless it's his solo comic sort of thing. And, like, Green Arrow's never really been a full part of the Justice League, and, like, giving him a mythological thing, you don't need that to make Green Arrow exciting. Make him save the mum of four that's just been robbed, you know? Yeah. That's the sort of stuff we want to see. Like, make Green Arrow see the guy. Like we've seen tonight. Like we we're discussing tonight about um, Black Canary's origins. She goes against the the women beaters and the cheaters and the bad husbands and the pimps and stuff. Make Green Arrow go after them guys. You know, bring it back to that. Don't throw in like totems and different. You know, as yeah, it's just, it, it became a bit. Not too ridiculous because, like, see the artwork. The artwork saved it. Like, uh, what was the guy's name? Was it um, Sorrentino? Sor- uh, Andrea Sorrentino. Sorrentino. Andrea Sorrentino. Sorry, I wasn't listening really to earlier, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I I read this earlier and I just loved it. Like this. This is what like see from volume one. What we read in volume one was like you said. The guy was trying to annoy them almost with his artwork and stuff, and he made it yeah. almost teen sort of thing, and like uh, almost felt like a reality show with all these teens and um. This is back to what Arrow should be. They've got the artwork. The writing's almost there, give or take what's happened tonight. And I mean, you had Komodo in it, which Ross has got a theory on in Arrow currently. Um, I disagree, but... <laughs> I mean, like, Komodo's a cool villain as well, and so is Shadow. You had all the good elements, you just didn't have the thing to pull the laces together, basically. And what he needed was... You could have easily told an island story like year one mm-hmm. and called it year 1.5, done away with all the, I, I know I'm saying voodoo, but you know, I mean, the voodoo yeah. style, sort of, like all the different weapons of the tribes and stuff. It's like, it wasn't needed in Green Arrow. You're not Green Green Arrow because of that. You're Green Arrow because of what you made yourself. Like that's almost as if somebody else told you what you were. Whereas yeah. Ollie's whole thing is that he became Green Arrow by himself through his lessons it's almost as if he's been given a crown if you know what i mean that's what it felt like to me yeah. um and, and i mean I like they could still they could still include the whole like uh his um half sister uh coming to starlin say to easily. um to sort of like wreak revenge not wreak revenge but you know like take over his mantle without the totem idea you know she could still have that a lot of the twist could still have happened even without mm. the totem stuff. Yeah, exactly. She could have just put on the green arrow and just went, call me green arrow, just because Ollie is. Like, yeah. he could have went back to the island without the totem. To- it reminded me of Crash Bandicoot, you know. With- <laughs> <laughs> booga, booga. <laughs> Poop it up. That's what I felt like Ollie was doing when you get crowned green arrow. You know, yo, green arrow. It's like, poop it up. Booga, booga. <laughs> funny, funny, hooda. You know, it's like, I... I, I I get it. I know what they were trying, and I see what they were aiming for, but they just didn't hit that ceiling that I was hoping. Because when I seen this is called Outsiders War, I was like looking at this, and Ross was like giving me my reading list. This is the one that I was focused on. I was like, oh, Outsiders War sounds fun, yeah. and Outsiders War was fun. It just wasn't as fun as it could have been, and it wasn't as serious as it could have been. It kind of tried to hit a, a, a middle, which it didn't. I, I appreciate the fact that Daddy. Daddy Cool was introduced. I love Diggle, but I mean, you could have done a lot more with it. You, 
they could have done a lot more with it. Now, I've been reading the individual issues of uh, mm. Green Arrow, like as a sort of month, because it's all it's monthly, and I, I just can't get enough of it all. Now, um, uh, tell me to shut up if if I've gone a wee bit too far ahead. But mm. um, was it because like it's been a, it's been a couple of weeks since I last read Volume Five? But mm. was it in Volume Five where uh, Diggle took on the mantle as Green Arrow for that one oh. scene in the oh. club? I don't, no, I don't think so. Not in this one. No, no, no. Ah, uh, see, I, I was thinking like, ah, right, okay. I knew that would I know, happen. I know, I know, Diggle was, I, I, I know, Diggle was introduced in Volume Five, but um, because I, as I said, uh, apologies, listeners, for that sort of like spoiler there, um, because it's issues twenty-five to thirty-one, and I think we're up to issue thirty-five just now in terms of like you know the monthly progression. Uh, I sometimes bleed into the, the volumes. This is the first ever time that I've read a story issue by issue rather than waiting for the trade paperback. So uh, I'm now starting to get, it's getting really difficult to sort of like figure out. What, well, this was this what, is the one Clock King, King and Clock King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember yeah. the story, but I, I the um, the Diggle section was only like a sort of a couple was, page yeah. thing. It wasn't like a major thing, but I couldn't it remember. It was exactly. to me. Diggle first time properly it was, in DC. It was cool to see him in though. It was it was quite not, fine. Not not counting the Arrow TV spin-off volume one, which may or may not have happened. That they've said it's not canon now, but I can still see it as canon. I don't see what it affects. I really do not see what that, that yeah. story those stories affects. But apparently it's no longer canon in two point five is, which we will be covering in a later episode. But I did like how it kinda told you more stuff about Ollie's dad. That's one of the good points. And I, I just I, I don't think Green Arrow needs this. Like, see, when you had me reading the story where Green Arrow and Batman were at the sort of gravesite and the guy appeared and uh, Arsenal was there and it was like, you've died before. And it's like, he knows he's died before, but didn't see all this. Green Arrow does not need involved in that sort of stuff. You know, yeah. that's why Batman's there. He's too far into Superman's asshole that um, <laughs> he, he'll, he'll get... Fl- <laughs> Batman's that far into Superman's asshole that he flew down the world twice and Super- Batman is two days behind. Boom! <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> that was an on-spot joke, folks. So take that with you. Um, but you know what I mean? Like Batman's up there with the, the, the upper ranks where we need a sort of street level, like almost like Daredevil. I'll, I'll compare Green Arrow to Daredevil every day. Like He should be doing what Daredevil does. Like, okay, Daredevil's got some supernatural elements to him, but... Green Arrow should be on the streets. He doesn't need going back to an island again or retold an island story so that he's got totems involved and he was blessed the mantle or given the mantle or he gained the mantle, however you want to see it, of Green Arrow. It should have been... He developed it like the TV series has done. The TV series is doing that right. But uh, get a goatee, Stephen Ammo. Yeah, he, <laughs> he does say, and like we, we all thought he was when uh, yeah. during the off season he was growing it really, really thick, and it was like the bastard was just teasing us. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I totally understand where we're coming from, and I think uh, that's that's a nice way to sort of wrap up. I think our mm. comic book thing there. Um, so how many how many arrows would you like to fire at uh, Green Arrow New Fifty Two Volume Five? You know, I'll give it three. I would say point five because of the artwork. I think I'm gonna fire three, even with the artwork. Yeah. Three arrows for me. It was it was good, but not good enough. And it has potential, you know. Hopefully, this was just like, uh, you know, we had the excitement of Volume Four. This was the die down of Volume Five. So hopefully, the next thing. And obviously, I'm I'm trying to say this without you know without revealing anything. But hopefully, the next bit will will shoot up a wee bit more in terms of excitement level. So 
be interesting to see how that goes. Especially considering that Future's End has started in the overall DC story arc and how that may or may not affect certain elements of um, of Arrow Volume 6. And also, Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino have left uh, uh, New 52 Green Arrow at issue 35, I believe. So issue 36, which is the most recent one that's due to come out, is being taken over by Mark Guggenheim and... Uh, Kreisberg? Of, Was it Kreisberg? It might be Kreisberg. It was either Kreisberg or Guggenheim and another Arrow writer. And they oh. have already announced that they're going to introduce Felicity Smoke and a couple of other oh. Arrow uh, characters. I've heard that. I'll Green tell you Arrow. something, though. Another fun fact for all those comic fans out there. The writer of this... Or the so sorry yeah the writer is what's his name Lumiere Lumiere Jeff I I say Jeff Lumiere but I'm pretty sure it's Jeff, like Lumiere. Jeff Lumiere Lumiere yeah like the candle in Beauty and the Beast but he is going on to do just for a change you know just to flip up completely what he's doing uh, he's doing Hawkeye for Marvel next year ah very yeah. interesting yeah so maybe Hawkeye will get some totems. Yeah, maybe maybe you'll be stranded on an island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway, so three arrows, I think, is the average. Three arrows out of five for volume five. Slightly disappointed after the volume four that we got. It was like the breath, breathtaking change that we needed. Um, but um, I'm going to have to hand you over to Ross for his uh, character discussion, which is always a favourite of mine. And what have you got for us tonight, Ross? Yes, I'll do a quick brief one. Um, mm-hmm. My plan this season is to try and... Um, try and wrongly guess what characters in Arrow will will become like a major impact later on in the series. So mm. obviously obviously this episode, episode three called Cortal Maltese, we saw a lot of Ted Grant and uh, I thought I decided, you know what, it'd be quite interesting to um to do a brief overview as to who Ted Grant is via the comic books and why he could be deemed as an important character for the remainder of Arrow season. Uh, three. So, Ted Grant, for all you non-comic book people, um, is actually a, a non-superpowered uh, crime fighter in the DC universe called Wildcat. And um, Wildcat is basically a legacy name of a feline-themed vigilante, uh, aka Ted Grant. Uh, he has no powers. But his world-class champion boxer skills uh, lead him to a life of fighting crime. Uh, and basically, he was one of the original members, or well, one of the members of the Justice Society of America. He was also part of the Suicide Squad for a wee while. And uh, he was part of various other teams as well. But yeah, Justice Society of America, which was the precursor to the Justice League in the DC Golden Age uh, comic books. Um, Justice Society of America had this, the likes of like uh, Doc, um, Dr. Fate, uh, Hawkeye, not Hawkeye, God, um, Hawkman, Hawkeye, God damn it, Ali, uh, Hawkman, uh, Wildcat was obviously in it, uh, Zatanna, I think. Was See, I'd buy it. Hawkman with totems. Uh, so yes uh, wildcat was basically seen as a um, as an old school hero um a a bit like how alan scott uh, was the green lantern with a cape and all that stuff before hal jordan became green lantern not Um, actually part of the lantern corps from yes he's not part of the lantern corps no um so yes (laughs) and uh, what's brilliant about wildcat is the fact that he even trained batman like, that's how good Wildcat is. He trained Batman in his boxing sort of skills. Um, mm. So, 
Uh, so yes, Wildcat played by Ted Grant. We've seen him already. He's in the. I can already sorry, Russ. I can already hear the phone call. I don't know who you are. <laughs> I don't know where you've been training. I hear your boxing gym's good, but I will find you. <laughs> and I will take you to a mountain and poison you with a flower. <laughs> uh, so Wildcat is seen as quite a quite an older character in the comic books and the animated series uh, Justice League. Uh, so it's quite interesting to see a younger incarnation on Arrow, especially probably around the same age as Laurel. I can understand that, which I'll, I'll go into the Arrow side of things and my speculations in a couple of minutes. But yes, with the comic book Wildcat, he is quite an older person, and uh, as I said, he was um, he was part of uh, the Justice of America, Just Society of America, and uh, the the amazing Justice League cartoon. Uh, he was uh, he frequented quite a lot of episodes, specifically one with Green Arrow and Black Canary in it as well. Um, Wildcat, yeah, he, he's actually quite an... I'd like to see him as an unsung hero, basically, you know. He's done so much for the... Uh, he, he's done so much in the background that nobody pays attention. And again, I'm bringing it up one more time. He trained bloody Batman. Like, he's better than Batman at boxing. That's how good Wildcat is. Um, and obviously, in the comic books, he does have a wee... I think he has a relationship with Black Canary. Uh, specifically, though, uh, Wildcat is the one responsible for training Black Canary in the comic books. So, tying into Arrow, it's very intriguing to see how why Ted Grant is now going to be training Laurel Lance uh, through the sort of art of boxing. So, are we going to see uh, Wildcat? In t- I know his gym is called Wildcat. I think it's Wildcat Gym it's called. So, it's a nice nod to his actual alias. Be interesting to see whether or not he is a crime fighter in Arrow. Has he already been a crime fighter or is he just a boxer type thing? And again, it's very nice to see um, the Arrow writers and creators um, taking into account of the comic book, um, uh, the comic book lore by having Laurel Lance begin her journey under the tutelage of uh, um, of Ted Grant uh, rather than Ollie, because it could have been so easy just to have Oliver Queen train Laurel Lance, you know, and it's nice to see that Oliver Queen has refused to do so, and she's now turned around to Ted Grant. Now, when Oliver Queen finds this out, how's he going to take it? Is he going to try and hunt down Ted Grant and tell him to stop? You know, what's, you know it's, it's opening up a plethora of different things that could happen. Um, but yeah, Wildcat is a very, very thing. And I mean, he's somebody that I've never really paid too much attention to other than uh, watching him in the Justice, Un- Justice League Unlimited cartoon. Um, I believe he did briefly appear in Smallville uh, as Ted Grant as well. Um, but uh, not much has been said about him, though. Um, and he was also in Young Justice for a wee bit as well. Again, he appeared briefly. Um, and obviously, J.R. Ramirez is... Uh, portraying Ted Grant in Arrow, um, so yes, that's pretty much um, that's pretty much all I'm going to say about Wildcat. I mean, he is uh, he's he's an interesting, and hopefully this um, character sort of deconstruction kind of highlights why he's going to be so important in this series and why I picked him out. You know, he's he in the comic books he is a massive influence on Black Canary, and I'm really hoping to see that in Arrow. I'm really hoping to see some form of 
maybe not as far as a romantic relationship, but I'm really hoping to see maybe Ted Grant and Laurel Lance really get closer together and, you know, possibly even have their own sort of competing crime-fighting team up against Team Arrow. You know, it'll be interesting to see if that actually happens and whether or not Laurel sparks sparks Ted Grant into becoming Wildcat alongside her because maybe Laurel's shunned by Team Arrow, you know, turned around and told, no, you can't join us. So her and Wildcat decide to have their own sort of duo, a dynamic duo of crime fighting. Um, so, yeah, um, it's an interesting thing. And I'd, I'd highly, I'd, anyone who wants to find more information on Wildcat and see the, the relationship he has with Black Canary, I would highly recommend watching Justice League Unlimited. Um, there's a huge, I can't remember the episode name. It's, I think it's called The Cat and the Canary, actually. Uh, if you get a chance to get Justice, Justice League Unlimited, the cat and the canary, uh, canary, that's basically Wildcat, Black Canary, and Green Arrow all in the same uh, episode. That's a very good episode, actually. It's very quite good. So, yeah, that wraps up my first uh, character deconstruction of this series. Season 3 of Starling City Radio. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, we need to get a jingle guy because I can't sing. So, um... That's about it from Starling City Radio tonight. You've had so much, so much, but we'll give you much more next week. And uh, it's be, it's good to be back. I, I hated missing Starling City Radio. I really did last week. But unfortunately, I was in another country um, shopping for wedding stuff. Well, I wasn't. I was standing outside the shop looking at the GameStop wishing that I could buy a game. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, uh, Ross, uh, we'll, we'll finish it up. Where can the lovely Starling City Darlings as I've decided to christen them <laughs> Starling City Darlings they should have if they, not, if they never mentioned a football team in Starling City it should be Starling City Darlings the cheerleaders. Starling City ch- double check that if not I'm trademarking Starling City Darlings if it's not their cheerleading team that's our cheerleading team you can be the manager of the Starling City cheerleaders so you can pick pick the best yeah. <laughs> well I need, I need a judge as well so Ross you'd have to come with me so. oh, of course <laughs> yeah, so from one manager to another manager of the Starling City Darlings where can the, the Starling City Darlings themselves find us Yes, uh, all you lovely listeners can follow us on Twitter at Starling Radio. Uh, like us on Facebook. Um, we want to hear all your questions and queries, opinions about the show, um, and uh, opinions about the episodes and characters. Uh, it would be great to have some sort of one-on-one. We, we are bringing back, obviously, our uh, listener questions too. Yeah. Uh, so please come in. As again, tweet us at Starling Radio and uh, let us know what you think. Uh, you can listen to us on Stitcher Radio. Um, get us on iTunes as well, and uh, you can visit us at our website, www.starlingcityradio.tk, where we'll be posting up our um, comic book of the week. Uh, you can listen to previous episodes and the most recent episode as well. Uh, and I believe we are on allgames.com on a Friday night as well, uh, just before Agents of Shieldcast, yeah, I believe. I believe we are, yeah. So yes, at Starling Radio, tweet us. What's that? Sorry? Starling Set Radio Episode 1, Season 3 was front page. It must have been big news after our busy Season 2. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been, yes. It must but, have um, been. Yeah, Twitter at Starling Radio. Get following mm-hmm. and uh, oh, get, get your questions in, guys. Yeah, um, and also, uh, yeah, just check us out here. And like next week, we're going to have everyone's second favorite, third, fourth, everyone's tolerance, Andy, back in the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, because obviously we've got a flash roundup. 
Of course, yes, so it's the Flash Roundup. We've got three episodes of Flash to cover for you guys. And, the streak uh, lives. <laughs> yeah, the streak lives. I like that. I like that. That is that's very that that was quick for you, Ross. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So um yeah, check us out next week because as we said, Speed Ford Pod Speed Force Podcast sadly is no more. So um if you like the Speed Force podcast, if you like the one that we gave out, um, check out next week because it's going to be just as good, um, if not better. Probably better. I'd say better. So uh, next week we've got some Arrow, some more Flash, probably Russell with some DC news. You know what it's like. But um, <laughs> as for this week, uh, I've been Alan, he's been Ross. But just as Ross thought he was going to get away, I've got a perfect quote that I've never given to Ross before from Green Arrow that sums up his first experience on our other podcast 42 level 1 of <laughs> what happened and Ollie said this and Ross literally repeated it so this is Oliver Queen quoting Ross Shaw, on you go <laughs> yeah that's right, I'm shouting at this tin plated circuit hearted bloodless computer, it's got some information I want somewhere in it's silicon chip guts and I can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah, so uh, thanks for listening, folks, and uh, tune in next week. Bye now. <laughs>